Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. No matter how far you run from them, childhood tragedies have a way of catching back up with you. So is true of elite scuba diver Veronica West, who's about to encounter something unexplainable at the bottom of the ocean, something that will draw her back to her home on Sinclair Island, Maine. There, she'll lead a dangerous rescue mission to the bottom of the Bay of Fundy, home of the world's largest tides, and something horrific down in the depths. Listen to Narcosis, the latest horror fiction show on Realm's premier horror channel, Undertow. Narcosis is available now. Search for Undertow or Narcosis, wherever podcasts are served. Space. I'm Tim here today alone again in the Corral Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance is still on assignment despite what our friends Chris Duet and Dr. Shiloh of LA Not So Confidential say on Twitter. Lance is safe. He's unharmed. He is uh, on another project right now and you will be hearing from him again very soon. This episode was recorded on Monday, July 29th with James Basinger, host of the podcast Hide and Seek, and you, the listener, being a fan of true crime, you may have heard of this show. Well, I am here to tell you to give it a listen. It's a very interesting case, really well done by this fellow James Basinger, who we met very briefly at CrimeCon 2019. We have some overlap with some uh, mutual friends, including Art Roderick, former U.S. Marshal who was on the Disappearance of Moramari TV show with us on Oxygen. His podcast is an investigation of the disappearance of Washington State mother Nancy Moyer. Nancy was last seen in Tenino, Washington on March 6, 2009. She left work at 5.15, drove a co-worker home, and went to the store at 6.45. She has not been seen since. All of her belongings, including her car, were found at her home, and foul play is suspected. Nancy has tattoos of an armband with stars, hearts, and flowers on her upper right arm. A butterfly on her back, double mint and juicy fruit with flowers and hearts on her upper back, hibiscus flower on her left hip, a Playboy bunny on her right hip, and cherries with the initials AS on her right foot. Her ears and navel are pierced. She has dark brown hair and brown eyes. She is 4'11 to 5 feet and 105 to 120 pounds. Anyone with information should call the Thurston County Sheriff's Office at 360-786-5500. And that's just what someone did just a few weeks ago. His name is Eric Roberts, and he confessed to killing Nancy Moyer. He was arrested and later recanted his confession. So we catch James at a great time in this story because we don't really know what's going to happen. And there are multiple, I don't know if one is say suspects or persons of interest, but certainly suspicious characters that linger around this case. And Eric is just one of them. So check out his show, Hide and Seek. And I really hope you enjoy this interview with James Basinger. Here I am today with James Basinger of the podcast Hide and Seek. James, how are you? 
I'm doing phenomenal. I'm doing good. Thanks, Sam. How about yourself? I'm doing well, and uh, I just finished binging your podcast, which I feel like is uh, every podcast listener's dream to binge straight through uh, a, a podcast and then actually get to speak to the creator immediately after you're done. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've been on that same side where, yeah, I know, I know the feeling. Yeah, it was. It wasn't hide and seek for me this weekend. It was hide and binge. <laughs> trying out my uh, stand up. Um, okay, so tell us what what is Sasquatch Productions? Well, it's just the uh, business I opened up in Sasquatch Productions. I mean, just the naming behind it. I'm being up here in the Pacific Northwest, Sasquatch, or also known as Bigfoot, is also got the title of the Hide and Seek Champion. Ah, kind of thought played well with the podcast name. So Sasquatch Productions is just the company that I own. And when I started this, and so that's where the naming comes from. Okay. So this was uh, your company that you started for this podcast. Yes. And is there anyone else a part of this company with you? No, no, this is, uh, I'm solely independent on this and it's all me. Incredible. Uh, Really well done. Um, Yeah. If, if anyone listening has not heard hide and seek, you might want to pause this interview and go binge it and then uh, come back to this because we're going to get into it. Um, What did you do before you decided to do this? Well, I'm still an an insurance agent. Um, Mm -hmm. I have an office uh, up here in Washington state and uh, I've been in insurance for eight years and uh, opened up my own office. I've been uh, an agent for six years. And so um, I decided to do insurance and the uh, business allows me to take some time away. And I thought, you know, this was a, this was something I wanted to, uh, try. I've listened to a lot of podcasts including missing more Murray. And I, um, you know, like a lot of other podcasts or, li- or podcast listeners listen to up and vanish serial. And I just thought, take a leap of faith, take a shot at it. This is something that you really do enjoy. And so, um, I tried it now I still have my insurance office and I'll go back to being a full-time insurance agent one day here soon. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, we'll pick up the pieces from there if we want to, or if I want to try a second season. Now, what, what did you, what, what made you think you could do it too? I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't know. I, I, I don't have any kind of investigative background. You know, I don't have any kind of background that, that, trains me for this kind of stuff. And I don't know right. if that was the same way for you, but I, um, you know, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I listened to and watched a lot of true crime TV back in the day, unsolved mysteries, uh, ID, you know, 48 hours, everything. And my family were, we, we just enjoy this kind of stuff. It's something that we've always grown up with. And I thought, you know, take a shot at it. And who knows if this flops, at least you can say you tried it. I'm okay with failure. It's, it's what I don't want to do is look back and think, man, you should have tried that or you should have done it because you look at guys like, you know, Payne Lindsay with, with the serial or the Payne Lindsay with Tara Grinsett's case. And here's a guy who was trying to produce something, not make a podcast, but it evolved into something that generated enough attention like the serial case with Adnan that if you bring enough attention to something, there could you could shake the, the tree enough for the leaves fall and you might come up with something. So I thought, take a shot. Yeah. So you went into it knowing that and believing you could have some um, effect or some impact on the case. I think that is totally different from the way me and Lance um, entered Maura Murray's case. We definitely didn't imagine that ever uh, happening. And when it did, we kind of um, adjusted on the fly. Does uh, is there anything about your insurance job that helps you with this? Like, uh, like skills you've learned or anything or contacts? Yeah, I, I think that um, just through the years of, of working with all sorts of individuals, you know, from the kid who comes out of, you know, high school, moves into his own apartment and needs to get auto insurance. And it's the first time he's ever needing to learn what what's renter's insurance. And then you got the middle age uh, having kids and you have the people who are retiring. So I, I communicate with all sorts of individuals on a regular basis. And so I think that that's a lot that that's helped me understand on how to relate to people and Mm -hmm. almost you want to kind of be a chameleon. You want to, you know, meet them with where they're at. So I think that the people skills of just the day-to-day operations in my insurance agency has helped me being able to talk to, you know, the guy who's considered a person of interest, um, the family and, 
Um, you know, as far as the business side of it goes, it's a totally different type of operation, but I, I would say just the management skills from, from my insurance offices also help. I know that going, looking back now, there's a lot of things I'd probably do differently if I did this again, but you know, lessons learned. Were you contacted by TV companies and everything during the run of this before the arrest of Eric Roberts? Yeah. Well, funny you ask because, um, when we went to CrimeCon, which is where we met, uh, we had decided, or Kevin Balfi from from CrimeCon, who who puts it on, he had decided that he wanted to do the first CrowdSolve event in Seattle, and it was almost like kind of perfect timing, God's timing, with me starting this podcast, reaching out to Kevin, wanting to open up a booth there, and he says, "Well, why don't you pitch me, you know, what the story is? Because we're looking at doing an event out there in Seattle, mm-hmm. and I need a story for the Pacific Northwest." And so it was like perfect timing. And so then once he said, okay, we have, you know, Thurston County support, we have the family support, we have your support, we'll go ahead and go forward with this. Um, and Kevin has a great relationship with Oxygen TV. Yep. And so the day that I get the call that this gentleman who's possibly responsible for uh, Nancy Moyer's murder, uh, this guy calls me and says, hey, we would like to do uh, a, a short you know, 15 minute video, uh, to pitch to oxygen. And, um, I'm like on my way because I just found out this guy got arrested. I'm like, sounds great. Can't talk. Call me tomorrow. (laughs) So (laughs) he calls me the next day and he's like, wow, didn't realize what's going on. Sounds that's, you know, that's awesome. If this is what's, what's really happening. And so now we're in talks, you know, with, possibly maybe a mini series a four episode mini series and then i've also talked to dateline yeah i mean imagine you gotta let the dust settle sometimes when it comes to people you know want to shoot or produce something but you know kind of they do they want to see the ending of this too i'm kind of amazed that uh, that you went into this with no production background or anything like that either huh yeah no um no i i hate talking in front of crowds yeah i don't i don't have any production background um i, I guess i guess listening to you know, your podcast or all the other ones prior to, you kind of know the sound and the feel and the vibe mm-hmm. that you want and you just kind of play with it. Yeah. I have had some, some help early on in the beginning from, from a friend of mine. Um, but you know, if I think from about episode five and beyond, he hasn't been able to be around, he had to move away. So, uh, but no, it's been kind of a one man show, uh, this in most of the season. Okay. And uh, your logo, I have to ask about it. It's it's beautiful. Uh, one of my favorite uh, podcast logos I think I've seen. Um, how did that, did, did you make that or did you tell someone and, and a graphic uh, design uh, artist put it together? Yeah, uh, I did not make it. It's a good friend of mine. He um, He's a friend of mine who works for our church as a graphic artist and, and he, helps her, he helps them there. And he also does some side stuff and uh, reached out to him. He's very talented. His name is Jordan Robinson. I said, hey, here's here's the theme, here's the feel, here's what I'm looking for, and he it was the first first image he showed us. I was like, that's awesome, love it. Lots of people were like, man, I didn't yeah, I didn't actually even see the face in the background, and in so he's he's very yes. creative. It did take me a little bit of of looking at the detail to see uh, her face there, um, or a face there. Um, but either way, I think it's beautiful. Even if you don't see that, I think it's great. Um, so, so then your, your insurance job, what, what kind of insurance do you sell? Yeah, I sell everything from property, casualty, life, commercial farm. So is that like, because your, your style of interview when you're interviewing people is, uh, is really fun to listen to. And it's, uh, I don't want to say like aggressive or, or pushy, but kind of like, like you, it, I guess it, I guess I can't. It's it's like a gentle aggressiveness, you know. Like uh, it's almost like I, I could see your sales background potentially having when, when you said it. I could see that coming into play. Is that do you think where you get that, or it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you learn how, once you've been told no, I'm not interested enough times, you really kind of figure yourself out and what's the best approach for yourself. You know, it's yeah. I that that's definitely um, you got to know when to ask for the business and then knowing, you know, when not to ask. And so it's like going into it and saying, am I okay to record now or am I not? Mm-hmm. Okay. You have to build the relationships first. Yeah. Well, I would say that you're very good at that. And it's, it's interesting and entertaining to uh, listen and kind of be on the journey with you because you know, as a listener where you're trying to get, and then you'll ask, would you 
do this or, or you know, come on, like, uh, give me more than that. That, that aggressiveness I think is valuable for this. Yeah. So, I appreciate well it. done. Okay. So let's, uh, get into the story of Nancy Moyer. Can you tell us a little bit about her and the details of her disappearance? Nancy was a loving mother. She went to college, worked for the department of ecology, had a job, uh, for 12 years. Um, in 2007, her and her husband did split apart. Uh, they separated and, you know, they had a very cordial co-parenting relationship. You know, Nancy would have her girls from Sunday evening till Thursday after school. They would go to the dads from Thursday after school till Sunday evening. And, uh, Nancy was at that time of her life, she was single, um, out of college, you know, when she married Bill, you know, this was almost in a way kind of like her first for everything. And so when her and Bill separated, she had a chance to kind of, you know, get out there and have fun and go around and, and, you know, hang out with her friends, go to bars, go to live music, you know, bands that were playing. So it was uh, March 6, 2009. And um, Nancy, you know, was riding home with a fellow colleague that she would normally carpool with. She was driving and um, her plans for the weekend was to just relax. And she had a long week at work and, you know, the the girls are at dad's. So she goes to a store, buy some, buy some food and then a uh, couple bottles of wine and, and some cigarettes and heads back home. She's just going to chill out. And the neighbor of that Friday night on March 6 uh, claims to have overheard a female voice around 11 15 saying hurry up get in the car and here's two car doors shut and um the odd thing about that whole situation um is you know when they heard this the two car doors shut they heard the vehicle drive away now right before that though around nine o'clock nine thirty, a police officer was running patrol running radar outside of her house and he sees her enter her house by herself and he sees the grocery bags in the store that she just came from but that was technically the last time she was ever seen by the police officer. And that was the last time we think that we ever heard Nancy's voice when the neighbor overheard this around 1115. Now it's, you know, our strong belief that Nancy, that's the time that she left and never came back. Once 1115 around that time, the heating turned on, but it never turned off for the rest of the weekend. When a certain individual who was a co-workers of Nancy's was supposed to go on a date with her on Saturday. He stopped by the house because she wasn't answering the phone or confirming their date. And he stops by and the door is open. And he walks inside, calls out for her, looks for her. She's not there, leaves, but chooses to leave the door open still. And it's not until Sunday evening when Bill Moyer, her separated husband at the time, comes back and sees that the door is open. That's been the mystery ever since. We've never been able to find her, and obviously we've we've had some uh, recent breaks in the case. That's how she went missing. And uh, the scene of her disappearance, so the door was open, the heat was automatically activated because the door was open? Yeah, just recognize the temperature and of, yeah. of the desirable, you know, the desired set inside, and so it kicks on. Uh, the scene is Nancy would always sit in a chair on her porch when she would smoke a cigarette. And this chair is still there. Um, it has her pack of cigarettes, though, in the cup holder in the chair or that's on the chair. And um, one of the things I've asked, I don't smoke cigarettes personally, but I've asked individuals, would you ever leave your pack of cigarettes outside? If you did, what would happen to them? And everything I've ever heard is, well, it would ruin them. The moist, you know, with, with it being cold. So that that was one of the odd it, you know initial odd uh, evidence that we saw and then when you walk inside her house her lights are on her tv's on she had a glass of wine with red wine in it on the coffee table i've recently found out that there was a second glass which i've always believed it to be a wine glass but it was a second glass mug mm -hmm. that was on the coffee table uh, her purse her keys or you know where they always are you know, there's some more red wine glass or some wine glasses. Um, two or more in the are in the kitchen. One more is next to her bedside. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the the glasses were that was a little confusing. Like uh, in trying to figure out if this meant anything or not. Um, and and I will 
say that if I ever drink red wine, which I do occasionally here at, at my house, I drink it out of like a like a pint glass. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah I don't use the wine. I'm I, and it's not for any other reason than I'm clumsy and I'm definitely gonna spill if I'm using a wine glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you know my girlfriend uses a wine glass, so I don't know. I don't know if that says anything. Obviously, you can't. Uh, put your own life into this, but you can kind of use it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think you naturally, what we do is we, we insert ourselves and say, what would I do or how would I have handled that? And that's really kind of what you're looking for when you're, when I, at least when I started, this was, I wanted people to kind of give an opinion because what they dealt with or what they experienced in their life doesn't, you know, maybe it's this one thing that they see that I'm not or detectives yeah. are. And that's what we need is just that one listener who could possibly say something that might turn us in a direction we've never looked. So it's, it's like you said, you kind of, you don't use an actual wine glass flute type because it's your preference. And, you know, for Nancy, if, if she chose to have that one glass mug for somebody else to have a drink with her, or that was their preference. And let's say you went over there and you're like, yeah, I'll have a glass of wine. I'll, I'll just take the glass mug though. Mm -hmm. That could have easily been what happened. Yeah. But. It was to the new detective. It was kind of interesting because he was telling me, he's like, you know, when I looked at it, there was change on the table and it kind of looked like maybe almost like this glass mug was like a changed jar for her. Mm, interesting. Okay. And so uh, no sign of struggle at the scene as well? No, no, no signs of a struggle, no forced entry, no blood. It almost looks like she just walked out the front door and then the door didn't shut all the way and left. Yeah, and left her wallet there too, right? Yeah, left wallet, identification, keys, didn't lock the door, didn't take mm. her car. So, I mean, it was just, yeah, very bizarre situation overall, which kind of, you know, if you take that information there and you think that she's on her chair smoking mm. a cigarette outside, what girl will naturally leave the house without her purse? It's very uncommon. Now, it doesn't say, that that that, that doesn't mean that it's never happened in the history of mankind. I mean, it happens, but for her to leave the house with the lights on, TV on, door open, cigarettes in the you know cup holder outside, it was almost like uh, my friend Dr. Maurice Godwin said there was some sort of ruse that lured her away from the front porch to get in the car. Maybe it was for a short, short trip, short ride, short drive. I'm not. Maybe a conversation in the car, and yeah, they took off. I mean, it's just speculation, but it could have easily been one of all those examples. Right. Um, yeah. And just because there's no sign of a struggle doesn't really mean there wasn't a struggle. Right. Um, even if, you know, she was approached by someone she was familiar with, as in uh, what Dr. Maurice Godwin said. I, I call him Doc Mogod, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I would imagine her to have at least gathered her keys, wallet and cigarettes. If that's it's uh, sounds like she was a heavy smoker. So. That part is uh, a bit confusing to me because it does, it definitely does sound like, oh, maybe she, maybe this is someone she knew who she, who she trusted and went with or at least knew a little bit, um, and he, he could be right. Maybe there's some kind of ruse. He's saying, oh, your daughter's in trouble or something like that. Who knows? Mm -hmm. She leaves quickly, but it's still still confusing when you look at the door being left open and everything. It seems like, to me, she left uh, without wanting to now the the per the neighbor who, who overheard the voice how sure is he that that was a, a woman's voice he was he was pretty sure i mean he he thought it was nancy and he said to me i thought maybe like she was taking her daughters to the hospital well we know that that's not the case because her daughters were with their dads right but he was pretty sure i mean that it was it was a, a female and you know, I've I've driven out to Nancy's house. I've been on the property. I've I know the distance between where this guy's bedroom's at, where he claimed to have heard where Nancy was at, and where the driveway's at, and where you know the direction the windows are facing. And sometimes I wonder maybe if it was wishful thinking that mm. after the fact you kind of look back and like, yeah, I thought I heard that. I thought I heard this. And um, but you know, it, it, he could have be one hundred percent accurate with what, accurate with what he heard. And I have a hard time hearing sometimes. Uh, I listened to a lot of loud music growing up. And so I, I found it hard to believe that he can actually hear that. But it doesn't mean that he did. Yeah. 
Yeah, very interesting um, because he thought it was Nancy speaking with her kids, and then he said he heard two doors close, or he thinks he heard two car doors shut. I just, that scenario is confusing to me when we know that Nancy's car is still there, but I guess that means we're to assume wherever Nancy went, it was in a car that was parked like right behind her car on in her driveway. Is that a, a layout that's, that could be accurate? I wouldn't say, I mean, if they, if they made like some sort of like, if she was vertical and the vehicle that pulled right behind her was horizontal, there's no way of her backing out. Sure. Mm. They had, but they had, she had a big enough driveway where you can park easily five cars without having to get behind one of them. Okay. So it was, I mean, out in the country, and so she had enough parking spaces that whoever parked there, I don't think that they parked right behind her unless they knew what they were doing and they didn't want her to get in her own car. And they set the scene up for her to get in their car right away. Um, like you had said, hey, your kids are in trouble. That would be a reason for her just to bolt from the deck and go to the car with them. This is somebody that she knew and trusted. Right. Yeah. Um, but you've completely, you know, her family members are completely ruled out and you've spoken to them. Um, they seem like great people. Yeah, no, I've, they are. They're great people. They, I've, I've developed a real relationship with these uh, people. And obviously, when your ex-wife or your separated wife it goes missing, you're, as the husband, always going to be the first person they look at. Yeah. And so with Bill, you know, I knew that the first detective, Detective Haller, had ruled him out. And he had took a polygraph very early on. Uh, I knew the second detective had rolled him out as well. As I was going through this investigation, there was some new information that was coming forward, though. And that was Bill had said at the time that Nancy went missing that she didn't have a cell phone. Mm -hmm. And so did his, you know, so did her family, her sister, uh, her in-laws. No one said that she had a cell phone. But once the daughter came forward and we were talking, she said, no, my mom definitely had a cell phone. That was kind of new information to me. So when I, you know, there was a, a IDTV episode on this case as well that I watched. And he, when I first watched that, when he said that there was a cell phone, I went back to the detective and said, I thought you said there was never a cell phone. And he said, oh, he just misspoke. That's not accurate. So when the daughter told me what she, you know, remembers the phone being at her mom's house and playing with it, you know, that was new. So I went back to Bill and you know, his response was, no, Thurston County should definitely have the cell phone. They, they don't have a bill. And he's like, that doesn't, that's not right. And so eventually I got, uh, I was working with a private investigator and he shared the actual transcript of what Bill said when she first went missing. And he said that she didn't have a cell phone. So then it got kind of awkward between Bill and I, cause I mean, this is the worst news that you could possibly ever imagine is your ex-husband or your dad is responsible. And so I, I've, I've ruled him out in in my in, in my opinion, especially when a guy who comes forward and says I'm responsible, and then he recanted, of course. Um, but I, I I've I've pressed Bill enough, and I've worked and I've really looked at all the possibilities. Even given when he's considered a suspect in my or a person of interest in my eyes, he's never backed off once with answering the difficult questions. And has it become has it been uncomfortable at times? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you I did I don't know I don't know if you remember, but I did that like kind of test where I asked a couple of different uh, two different couples of something that they went through that was extreme for them emotionally. Everything's not accurate with them either. So this is something that happened ten years ago. Naturally people say, Well, how could he ever forget that? Yeah. No, no, you absolutely uh, proved, I think, that people going through traumatic experiences aren't going to remember things accurately, potentially, or certainly not going to remember everything. Yeah. You know, I think that's important. I like Bill's tonal shift when calling you James. Okay, James. <laughs> but he understood, you know, and it was a relationship building uh, question, I, I think. Um, but yeah, it was his, his tone. He answered everything, but his tone changed a little bit when he called you James. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, now you've spoken to a, a lot of people in this case. Who, who, who else have you spoken to? Uh, law enforcement. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, law enforcement. I've, you know, I've spoke with, with the brother-in-law, sister-in-law. I've yeah. spoke with her mom. Um, you know, I've spoken with people who never, do not want to be on the podcast, have no interest in being on the podcast, but need me to know information, coworkers, call, you know, um, ex-girlfriends of 
persons of interest in case there was any kind of retaliation there. Yep. And I've gotten the harsh, do not call me back. Don't want to talk to you. And, um, I've also spoken with Bernard Howell. He's a guy who, you know, murdered a gal in Tenino a year after Nancy went missing. Yeah. Pretty good suspect. And he, he had also delivered, um, meat to Nancy's place. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. He, it's funny cause we, we were just talking yesterday and, and I'm, I'm bringing up again the meat packaging, and he's like, they're lying. Thurston County's lying. I didn't sell meat in Tenino. And I'm like, but Bernard, you know how many people have called me and said that they remember you deliberately, you selling meat to them and them turning you away. And he just kind of remains quiet. He's like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I didn't sell meat in Tenino. And I said, well, when Sam points you out in a lineup of men, because Sam, the daughter, yep. Bernard had murdered Vonda, they thought maybe that he was responsible for Nancy. So when they asked Sam, Nancy's daughter, if she recognized any of the men in the lineup, she pointed right at Bernard. She says, I've seen him before. And so he thought she was lying. And I was like, why would she lie about that? And he, I mean, his response is, is I think that Thurston County, you know, swayed her into picking me in the lineup. Oh boy. I don't know how. I mean, you, you, you know that you've seen shows at times and I'm not claiming Thurston County did this at all. But you've seen the shows at times where someone is, you know, lured into picking this picture because of the way that they lay it out. And they're pointing the finger at the picture. And, you know, you've heard that kind of and I've seen that kind of stuff before. Yeah. But I. Sorry. I mean, I don't think Sam's going to lie about it. And I know that they didn't have, you know, um, local TV or news because Bill was financially struggling at that time having to carry the kids on full time now so he got he turned off the cable so it wasn't like they've seen this guy in the news for this murder either so this was the first time that sam was shown this picture but she remembered walking up and seeing bernard selling meat to nancy take coloring your hair at home to the next level with madison reed our friend nama cates did just that recently with madison reed of course she is the host of crawl space's new show incel and we'll get her in here soon to uh, talk about Madison Reed at length, at nauseum, because you deserve gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door for less than $25. For decades, women have had only two options for coloring their hair. Can you believe it? Only two. Outdated at-home color or, come on now here with this, the time and the expense of a salon. Look, no one's got the money and no one wants to spend the time. Many Madison Reed clients comment how their new hair color has improved their lives, like Nama and, and famously Lance's sister. Women love the results. Gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. You cannot walk by Lance's sister's house without her shouting, Hey, look at my Madison Reed hair. Check it out. Madison Reed delivers gray covering, game-changing color that you can do at home and look as if you just came from that awkward salon. What makes Madison Reed color unique is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm to create over 45 multi-tonal shades. They're gorgeous, people. Next thing we have to do is get Lance's sister and Nama together to just talk about their hair and Madison Reed and just how convenient and affordable this is and why we'd recommend it to our listeners. So find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and Crawlspace listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code CRAWLSPACE. That's code CRAWLSPACE at madison-reed.com. Kickoff for Super Bowl 34. The Titans-Rams 2000 Super Bowl, an instant classic. Hours after the game, Two men were stabbed in the street, accused of being in the middle, the greatest linebacker in NFL history. Ray Lewis and two friends are charged with murder. The nation's eyes were glued to their televisions. The trial concluded and the verdicts came back. Not guilty. What you can learn from all this is that big cases make for big mistakes. Look what happened in O.J. Simpson. And look what happened in Ray Lewis. Lewis went on to have a Hall of Fame career. But questions around that night in Atlanta still remain. So what do you think they're hiding? They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. After 20 years, 
it's time to get to the bottom line truth. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston, and this is The Raven. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free listening and early access, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on tenderfootplus.com. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia... Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's interesting because I in every case that we've looked into, there is a staggering amount of suspicious people. So I guess my question is, how many people could you create a somewhat realistic case for them being guilty? Yeah, I totally know what you mean because that was one of the things where, and I don't know if you guys experience this, experience this or not, but when people would ask me, who do you think did it? You know, I would always have to refrain from actually even not giving an answer, but just even allowing my mind to go there because I had to try to keep my mind so open so I didn't miss anything that possibly was a clue that I was more focused on, I think this guy did it. And I was actually, there was one individual I got pretty, um, you know, zoned in on for about a week and a half and I had to take a step back and realize, okay, you're you're losing focus. If I were to create hypothetical speculation type of theory here, I could probably give you, let me count. (laughs) <laughs> six wow yeah yep that that's about where i'm at too with like the moramari uh case you know it, it's incredible and and you you're doing a great job of not doing that so i want to commend you on not cr- like following those pathways down too far or at least only kind of peeking down the rabbit hole and then kind of stepping back out um, because you know that there's, there's that many possibilities that you could just blast out there if you wanted to. You know, yeah. I mean, it would be really irresponsible, but it wouldn't be the first time uh, someone did it in a podcast. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you hit right on the nail with that. I didn't want to do that just because I, I just, like you said, it's pretty irresponsible. If you don't have the facts, you don't know, don't put someone in this light where you're accusing them now of murder, you know. and yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm completely in agreement with you, and I appreciate that. And be and here's the the biggest reason because, you know, if you did that, if you had done that, obviously not all of them are guilty. Maybe one of them is, but as it turns out, uh, there was someone named Eric Roberts who placed a call and admitted uh, to killing Nancy just a few weeks ago in real time, as we sit here at the end of July 2019, uh, recording this interview. And and he wouldn't have been one of the people that you could have done that uh, for. Actually, no, I, I take that back. He probably would have been. But as a podcast listener, he wouldn't have been. 
Um, does that make sense? Because I think you knew of him and were aware of him as a potential suspect, um, but you hadn't really talked much about him on the podcast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you, that, and that's something since, you know, before going into Eric, that was something that I've kind of done with the people who have been willing to talk to me is call them back and say, Hey man, like obviously you've heard recent news. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. And I'm sorry if this brought any negative pressure or attention your way. I try to be very clear with at the end of my conversations with Aaron Huntley or Aaron Johns, you know, Jim Roth, Bernard Howell is, you know, is okay. Like this is where I stand with him, but I'm now I got to move on to the next, move on to the next suspect. So now where we're going with Eric is, yeah, I I mean, I've known about Eric since, like I said, the beginning, um, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, during my own research on, on the web, I was looking up as much as I could with Nancy's case. And then eventually I got in contact with the detective and his name was discussed and it was a person of interest that we were talking about. Um, there's, there's more that detectives have asked me not to share until after the case is over. But I also knew if I put Eric on my podcast and this was something that we hadn't, you know, that Eric wasn't aware that he was a person of interest yet. Mm-hmm. It would have, I didn't want to be irresponsible because I want, I have a podcast now that I'm going to go put this birdie in his ear now that he could possibly be looked at. And if he, let's say he knew where the body was at and was going to move it because of my conversation with him, I didn't want to be irresponsible with the information that I had. So as much as I wanted to share and dive into it, I did want to make contact just to introduce myself and just to kind of see how he would respond. Not even with like, Hey, I got questions for you, but because I had also known about him through, uh, Aaron Huntley, that was his nephew that Nancy was having a relationship with. So the, he was kind of like my foot in the door. Hey, because Sharon, Nancy's sister, said that she would sneak out of her house to go over to Eric's house and meet with Aaron. So that was kind of my foot in the door of, hey, I want to talk to Eric. And do you think that's true about Nancy sneaking out of her house and going to see Aaron at Eric's house? And I just want to be clear. Eric is the person who admitted um, to killing Nancy and then later uh, took it back. But Aaron is his nephew and Nancy was having the relationship with Aaron and she would apparently walk a couple of doors down and visit Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what she had told Sharon, her sister. Um, when I had asked Aaron about this and, um, he denied it. He said that never happened. And, I've asked him this, you know, early on since Eric's come out and confessed to this. Episode 11 will be a kind of a heated conversation between Aaron and I because I'm confronting him again on all this stuff because I'm like, man, do you understand? Eric just has to say that Nancy was at his house because of you and that would explain any kind of DNA. So Mm. now's your time to make it very clear. Did you ever meet with Nancy? He said, I've never met with Nancy. I've never had sex with anybody at my uncle's house. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. I mean, it seems like a weird situation, doesn't it? Like I've never, I've definitely never uh, had a, a, a a woman uh, meet me at my uncle's house. Like, uh, it doesn't, I mean, obviously I'm not that family, so I, uh, you can't say, but, um, that's bizarre to me. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it definitely is. I think, I think it's, it's bizarre for lots of reasons. I mean, why would you have to go to your uncle's house? Yeah. Meet with a girl you want to see. Um, just convenience, I guess. Does yeah. he, he just happens to stay over his uncle's house once in a while? Well, he they would throw parties at his uncle's house. Okay. Uh-huh. Remember, and and to kind of clear this up is is Eric also worked at the same place as Nancy and Aaron, so they uh. knew each other. So if Aaron was helping put on a, a party at Eric's house where they would go barbecue, have drinks, listen to music, if Nancy's three three houses down. And she knows a party's going on down the street or three houses down when the kids and everybody, everybody goes to bed, maybe she sneaks out and would go party. But mm-hmm. I've never had one person come forward from these parties and, and say, I remember Nancy there. Not one person said that. So it, it, there's a lot of gray area in this is you got Nancy telling Sharon, you know, that she snuck over. Aaron saying it never happened. Eric said it never happened. It's a possible realistic scenario just because he is three houses down their coworkers and there's a party going on down the street. Okay. It's, I don't know. It's it, it kind of, you want to say that Nancy's telling the truth. You want to say that this is the case. And then unfortunately she's not here to testify to that. But unless, I mean, no one's coming forward and saying it, I don't know what to do at this point. 
Yeah, that that's definitely tough. There's some other kind of inconsistencies too with things that Nancy said and uh, things that the Aaron's said. Um, and now, which Aaron was is Eric Roberts's uh, nephew? Aaron Huntley. Huntley. Okay, so then the other Aaron, and forgive me, his last name? Johns. Johns. Okay, so that Aaron Johns. Uh, Nancy said that she had sexual relations with him as well, and he's denied that to you. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that, and she may have even gotten a tattoo to symbolize uh, those two Aaron's. Have you found other things that uh, Nancy has said that can't be corroborated or things that seem a little bizarre like that? Yeah. When you when you when when someone goes missing or a girl, you look at her journal if she has one, right? And mm-hmm. the journal will tell her all, will tell you all what she's feeling. And some of the stuff that I've, I've received on Nancy's journal entries, you don't know if this is a girl who's just, and she was hurting, but if she's expressing things in a way but that they aren't accurate yeah you know she talks about drugs and no one ever knew of her to take drugs uh aaron huntley told me that they smoked weed a couple of times but she wasn't the person that was you know saying hey let's let's smoke it was aaron when nancy says you know in her journal entry junkie drugs all the time no one knows of her taking junkie drugs. No one knows of her taking meth. She didn't behave and have, you know, the, she was always at work. She was responsible, always on time. Her financial records didn't always reflect, doesn't reflect that. But I mean, she, she liked to go out and party, mm-hmm. but she wasn't a junkie drugs. And then she kind of talks about, you know, why do I need to be, uh, I believe she says a slut and a prostitute or something like that. And it's like, but that's not true. And Tanino is a population of 1,700. I mean, how I don't know how much of that's going on in that in that town. I don't think that it was. So I think it's just a girl who's speaking from. I never, you know, my husband was my first for everything. To now she's kind of stepping out a little bit. So the number of, you know, multiple people that who she possibly was having sex with could be very small, but to her very large. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's That's true. Yep. smoking weed and she's never done this stuff before. Now she's smoking cigarettes. That could be junkie drugstore girl who's never done this kind of stuff before. Oh, she hadn't even smoked cigarettes before? No, she smoked, uh, started smoking cigarettes afterwards. Yeah, it seems like a bit of embellishment uh, in her journals at the very least, if not um, sort of like creating her own fiction. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, which makes it way more difficult to know what's true or not because, as you said, that's her diary. That's where all her honest and open thoughts should be. But I think it sounds like uh, she's embellished a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she's, you know, she's entitled to do what she did. She, what, you know, what, what choices she made and never should, you know, should someone go missing because she's wanting to enjoy herself. I think for, for people to realize though, is it is you are, you expose yourself a little bit more and that's just the facts. But, you know, with, with Nancy, I think that she was hurting because she really, really, really liked Aaron Huntley. She mm-hmm. really liked Aaron Huntley. And Aaron and I have talked about that, and he feels he feels some guilt because of that. Yeah. He had her, you know, she really cared for him, wanted a relationship, and he wanted to see her, but not in a serious relationship. And mm-hmm. once he realized that she was really pressing the relationship side of it, he really backed off. And... I think that's that's when Nancy kind of really started to get really sad because she'd left her family for this guy. And, you know, she was financially struggling. And so I think that she just kind of was very hurt and was going down south fast. But how she went missing, I don't know if those two really play a part together. So Nancy and Bill had gotten separated. And so I guess you could say that's a a change to Nancy's behavior because it was her who was really asking for that separation. Is are there other changes to her behavior or has, has mental illness ever been considered in Nancy's case? I would, I I don't know if mental illness is, 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 I, I know that that with the people that I've talked about, and I'm very sensitive with with the with that kind of stuff because you know I've, I, my my position has always been if it's not relevant to the mm-hmm. case, then I'm not going to share it. But 
I think that there were some things there that it's also been kind of referred to as Nancy's world, Nancy world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was an illness. I just think that I, I don't know what you can call it. Cause I, you know, she was never, she was 36 years old when she went missing. She was 34, you know, she was still happily married or married and, and nothing was ever discussed prior to her separation as having some sort of mental disability. Um, so I don't think, I think it was just the path that she was going down that depression or anxiety. I think something took over and mm-hmm. it was very strong and something she was having to deal with. Yeah. Interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about Eric who uh, was recently arrested and then um, not charged with murder released rearrested but uh was put in federal custody because of a gun charge and then he was released again is that the order of things yes almost so he was he was arrested for the for the second degree murder and then court proceedings uh the the prosecutor didn't push forward with the second degree um but he was arrested for gun charges that they found at his house that uh which were the federal gun charges and then he was released on those as well because apparently one of the guns that they thought were illegal were, was a short pistol, short barrel pistol versus a short barrel shotgun. And then so he was supposed to get out again. The day he's supposed to get out, he gets rearrested and, and still held for um, domestic violence charges that his son filed against him. And so that's a couple. I think it's it's Snohomish counties where he's being held out now. Um and that bail was at 600 initially. And then when he went before the judge, uh, they increased it to 10,000. Now, I've spoken with the family and they said, we're not bailing him out. That's where he's at now. He's, he's still in jail. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's good at least. Yeah. August 7th is a, is a big date for us because then that's when he goes to court for this domestic violence incident. Okay. Great. Uh, looking forward to hearing um, what happens there. Yeah. So... Th- thoughts on this guy is this, is this sound realistic um did did Nan- nancy apparently maybe had a relationship with this guy uh it's it's definitely realistic with, with his confession yeah that's kind of what i'm getting at because so he called 911 from outside prison and then took it back when he got inside so was he on something that just you know gave him some paranoia or something when he made the call initially yeah, so he he originally called and obviously he confessed, and then when the next day he recanted his confession, I strongly believe that he was drunk and high when he called in, and so that's yeah. So to answer your question, I believe he was drunk and high. Okay, so then logistically speaking, uh, Eric lived a few doors down from Nancy's old residence, and now that she had lived, she was living in Tenino. That that was not, uh, you know, a few doors down from this Roberts guy. Right. So realistically, like he would have had to have known where she lived or would have had to have seen her at the store or just been driving by or something. Yeah, I, I'm not, you know, when it all started, we don't know that part yet, but you're absolutely right. She went from three doors down to towards, you know, in, in the city of Tenino. Still, the drive is like 10 minutes Okay. You know, in where they lived was in Rochester, but it was like right on the edge of Tenino. So he, he, you know, in his probable cause report that was shared, he even points out where her house is out, which road she's down and how he was sleeping with her. And this was Aaron, his nephew's ex-girlfriend. And um, so he had to have known where she lived. And he even refers to her as a girl who went missing that lived down that road. So he said he went to her house and picked her up. That's what he says he did when he first confesses. So, and they went back to his house. He picked her up at her house and they went back to his house. Yep. About 10 minutes away. Yeah. Okay. Well then why is the TV left on and the door open? That's a great question. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for is why did she just like say okay, let's just go. I mean, if she took her car there knowing let's say they were going over to his house to hook up. Why did they just hook up at her house? Yeah. If she just didn't want to and wanted, you know, his car in the driveway, for example, and drives over and gets in his car to go over to his house, 
if she's getting in his car and it's let's say 11 11 15 based upon what the neighbor says and claims if you're getting in someone else's car my mentality would think okay well i'm gonna shut the door because i don't have control of just coming back when i want to if i drive my car over there you just you would naturally still grab your keys you would you know shut the door turn the lights off because I don't know. I that that's a struggle for me. That's why I don't know if he really if he's telling the whole truth because in his first confession he says we were out near um some uh river and she attacked me and I and I don't know why but she attacked me and I fought back and I killed her on accident. And then he says that you won't find her. She's in the hills. And then he asks detectives to turn off the recorder, in which they do, and then he changes his story. And then he says he Went and picked her up, came back. They were having sex, and you know he had choked her and didn't try to kill her, but it went bad. And then he tells them she's right behind. You know he, he asked them, "Can we take a walk?" Because every time they would ask him, "What did you do with her?" He would just weep and cry. And he said he was, you know, it's hard for him to get there. It's mm-hmm. hard for him to to share. Then he says, let's go for a walk. And he points at the fire pit and says, "If I don't want to incriminate myself any further, but if I were to bury a body out here, I would be right there. And he points at the fire pit. He So he's changed his story twice. And why now is he coming forward? My only second thought, or my only other theory at this point is, if he listened to episode nine of Hide and Seek, he knew that we were now starting to submit DNA evidence going forward because it's never been done. And so if the sexual encounter between the two actually happened at Nancy's house on her bed and we have the bed sheets, which Mickey Hamilton, Detective Mickey Hamilton says, we're going to submit those for evidence or DNA testing. Um, If he felt the pressure or if he knew we were submitting the wine glasses or we were submitting anything for DNA at Nancy's house, if that pressure just weighed on him, maybe that's it. I don't know. But yeah. like you said, it doesn't explain why she just got in his car and how the way the condition of the house was left. Yeah, I'm still very confused. And uh, was Aaron still dating Nancy at the time she went missing? No. How long had they had they, had they not been seeing each other? About a year. Okay, so I suppose in that year, there's there's time for his uncle to move in again. Kind of unprecedented. Uh, it doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard of. Um, but doesn't mean it it can't happen. One question I have is: Do, do you think that justice could be a, a thing here? Is that even a possibility? If Eric comes clean, yeah. I mean, what I mean, it's justice as far as knowing the truth, being able to put to rest Nancy and properly do this for her daughters to move on. That grieving starts, but justice, I mean, they're never going to get Nancy back. Until Eric's willing to own up and confess if he's responsible, he, I mean, there is no justice. And I think that if he does, then we can have justice. I know. I'm starting to think it's it's hardly even a thing because if, if she's taken away, you know, that, that there's never going to be justice for, for her family. And that's, you know, you you can... Uh, I just, it's, it's very sad to me to think of because you could kidnap a kid or whatever. And that is, you'll never find justice if they did something to that kid because the kid's gone. Right. You know, it's just, uh, it'll never be what it was. Um, so that is injustice, uh, by the book, I think. Now you have a family, right? You mentioned that in one of the episodes. Yeah, I have a, uh, recently married. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I have a seven year old boy. And uh, that's my family. We're going to get some dogs here pretty soon that we'll add to it and maybe some more little little ones. Nice. The dogs, are they, are they for safety or is this uh, something you've been concerned about? <laughs> that's funny you ask. I, I actually, I, yes. Uh, one, I got a very strong security system. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, but two, I've always, I, I grew up with dogs and then dogs are great home defense before someone actually breaks in. Yeah. My wife wants a golden retriever, and I want a cane corso. <laughs> and uh, so I, we met at CrimeCon 2019 briefly, and, and I saw that you were talking to Art Roderick, who is an old friend of ours from uh, the Disappearance of Maura Murray uh, TV show. We're uh, good buddies with him, so uh, just wanted to say shout-out. And when I heard him on the podcast, I thought that was very cool. 
Um, so how did you come to meet Art? Uh, through Kevin. Yeah, and Kevin was the connection there. Um, once, you know, Thurston County has been pretty helpful with me on this case as far as cooperation. Um, I got a redacted case file and CrimeCon CrowdSolve, what they needed was the, you know, the law enforcement to be on board with supporting the case and what they were trying to do uh, and family. Well, Kevin reached out to Arthur and Arthur made some calls above Mickey Hamilton and um, eventually got them on board and uh, with providing the case file and supporting us in CrowdSolve. But uh, Kevin said, okay, well, Arthur Rodericks, he looked over the case first before CrowdSolve was ever a thing. And he said, as long as Art's good with it, I'm good with it. Art liked the case. He yeah. he, he thought there was some real opportunity to bring some more tr- you know light to the to the case, and that's how I got connected. Art, he just he he has these strings throughout the the country and the world, and he can just pull them whenever he wants. Yeah, he, I think he knows everyone, and everyone is super um, Im- impressed by his law enforcement background. We've been with him when he's met like um you know police officers who are like almost like in awe of him and uh he'll give them his a u.s marshal pin yeah it's 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 fascinating i have a buddy back here who is uh ranger battalion done lots of time over overseas he's you know great guy but as soon as he started reading arthur's background he was like oh wow do you know what this means? <laughs> yeah, he's a very impressive guy and super down to earth and just so nice. Great guy. Uh, I'm honored to call him a friend. Um, now, what what the heck is going on with CrowdSolve now? Are you going to be able to do this event with uh, CrimeCon in Seattle? Uh, we, <laughs> I don't know yet. I mean, we're going <laughs> to yeah. do something still for Nancy's case, regardless cool. from what Kevin said. But I felt horrible because Kevin's like, hey, I'm a little worried that this actually might get solved before CrowdSolve. Yeah. I was like, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> don't worry about it. Like, I, I'm working the lease, but I don't think anything's going to really come from this. And then a week later, um, <laughs> sorry. Just incredible. Sorry, not sorry. Um, and Kevin gets it. He knows. Uh, he He's just looking at this from the business, but big picture, he totally understands and has been totally supportive. Like, this is, this is a good thing. It's a good problem. Not for me necessarily, but it's a good problem for us to finally know what happened to this girl. Sure. He's look, they're looking at different cases in this area. And there are a couple of cases that I shared with him that, uh, I considered when I first started this journey. And, you know, again, Arthur's just gonna, he's going to be the point of contact on that. If he feels like this is a good case to work with and Thurston County already has a relationship with, uh, crime con. So we're trying to find something that's going to fit with the family and then still with Thurston County. And, um, yeah, so we'll see. I don't know what 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 Kevin's plans are yet. I know right now it's kind of kind of have to hurry up and wait. You know, with knowing we don't know what's going to happen with the DNA testing, how fast we're going to get that stuff back. If if Eric's a guy, then crowd solves. There's no point in crowd solve. They need a case that is not solved. But then let's say Eric gets out, and we all think it's him, but we go to crowd solve, but he's still the the main suspect. It it kind of takes away from what the purpose of CrowdSolve was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure. I know, again, we'll be there, but I don't know if it'll be about our case. Gotcha. And uh, what does Nancy's family think of CrimeCon, or, or what did they think of visiting uh, CrimeCon 2019? Sam and Bill were very... Um, they really didn't, they didn't know what to expect, but they were very surprised seeing all the people there who, who are also victims of this, who have also lost relatives and lost family members. They greatly appreciated all the support and people who came by and they just, I mean, they've never, they never, they, they've never seen or heard of something like this. I mean, Bill's never listened to a podcast. It was a positive experience for them. Um, that was like kind of, it all was worth it for me watching everybody come up to Sam and shake her hand and give her hugs. And, um, but at the same time, they're like, man, it's, it's really sad to see how many people here who have lost family like us you know, not who don't have answers. They don't feel alone. Yeah, it is. It is sad, obviously, that um, that there are a lot of families that don't have the answers. But yeah, I've always um, been been incredibly inspired by CrimeCon, um, just because you get approached by these families who who are desperate for coverage. You know. Yeah. And so they really, you really feel like your value. I think when you're there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the things that stuck out to me when I was there was the amount of, you know, people who came up in tears and they're like, you know, you doing this, even if it's not about our daughter or my mom, you're you doing this makes us feel like we are not forgotten. The community of the ones who have lost someone who we don't have answers. It makes us feel like we're not forgotten. So that was that totally made you feel like, OK, you're doing this thing that you don't even realize the impact you're making but it's a great thing yeah all right james well i don't want to take up any more of your time i know you're busy or you're talking to everyone on the phone uh pressing them for answers and uh, (laughs) and stuff uh so really well done and uh, i just wanted to ask you this final question what has this experience meant for you oh man um man that's a hard that i've never been asked that question um, it's, it's unforgettable. It's, it's been sweat and tears, no sleep. I think, I think that it's, 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 I, I wanted to try this. I did it. I had no idea that this is where, where it could have led us or leaded the family. Um, I guess my only message or I guess the takeaway is if you're someone who's listening to this, take a shot. I mean, it only takes one person. I mean, I've been a one man crew for quite a while now. And, um, many people have called me and said, Hey, give me advice. I'd be willing to take anybody's call to, to share my, my experience, but it only, it, you know, I, I took a leap of faith and this is where it got me. So if you're somebody who's experienced this or you, you listen to this kind of stuff, consider taking a shot, doing something in your own state. Because they need more people like us who who yeah. give a strong interest into this kind of stuff. There's a lot of people out there who don't have answers, and in, I've I've questioned if I could even go any further. But it was it was all worth it. I I don't know if I'll ever do another season, but uh, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. But it was all worth it. Mm-hmm.